once you understand the metrics that you need to use to analyze a smaller deal, once you understand how to operate a smaller deal, generally speaking, there's huge economies of scale by taking that same work and applying it to a larger project. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Creating Wealth Podcast, where I, Kyle, from Kyle Curtin Real Estate, interview local top dogs in the real estate investing, wealth building, and personal finance industries. Let's build together. What's up, guys? This week's guest on the show is incredibly inspiring and making large strides in the real estate investing world. Ryan is an impressive local investor with an awesome story. In the final part of this two-part interview, we get a chance to chat about more sweet topics. In this episode, we chat about how important it is to learn from your failures, maintaining forward progress, economies of scale, and so much more. This interview was a ton of fun, and I hope you enjoy. Let's jump right into the episode. And then from there, I, you know, I had a falling out with my business partner early last year in 2021. That's when he, we went our separate ways. He kept his property and then just sold it. And I just kept my property in Worcester. But I knew I wanted to get into the commercial multifamily space. So we were doing one to four units. That's residential. Generally speaking, the way you value that is based off of comparable analysis approach, comparable approach. So anything in the market that's very similar that's sold, that's going to help you gauge what the value of your buildings were. So if there's an identical building across the street, even if it might be making a little bit more in rents, even if, uh, I mean, you just saying, so to speak, if it's just more profitable property, but it's one to four units, it doesn't really matter. If there's an identical property across the street that just sold for $700,000 and your property's Generally speaking, you're probably going to be worth $700,000. It's a little bit of an extreme, but even if it made a million dollars a year in income, in theory, nobody should be willing to pay more than $700,000 for that. Or generally speaking, the market's not going to. Now, the market's not always perfect. It doesn't always behave rational, so those things to consider. Five plus units, though, commercial multifamily space. Generally speaking, the way that those are valued is based off the income approach. So the amount of income you make on the property increases the value of it to the bank, to the next investor, to the next buyer. So if you have a property and you buy it under the assumption that it's only making $20,000 a year in income and through expert management or through your own you know, cost-saving strategies or revenue-generating uh, implementation plans, implementations, if you can boost the revenue, you can lower the expenses, you're going to overall boost the net income and boosting the net income overall will raise the value of the property. So that's what I talk about when I say like forcing appreciation, there's a little bit more control there we can control the value of it by being better business operators than the last owner. And that's what I wanted to do. So 2021 came around and I'm like, okay, I'm having this following out with my business partner, but I knew I wanted to buy something in the commercial multifamily space. I just really loved it. And the way that those loans are processed too is a little easier. They're not as like stringent on your credit worthiness and they still care, but it's not like everything at the end of the day. They don't necessarily care about your income that much. Like they really want to just make sure that the property itself is going to be a good little business. And it's going to be able to sustain itself and it's going to be able to pay the mortgage. It's going to be able to pay all of those expenses. That's what the bank wants to see. They want to know that if we have to take over this property, we want to know that it is going to be a good little business, that it'll be able to sustain itself or that at least for you guys, you're not going to put yourselves in a situation as the borrowers where you're going to stretch yourself too thin. So I was like, how am I going to do this? Because I was like, I don't have experience doing this. And I was like, I felt really bummed out that my partnership had failed or my first partnership had kind of failed or we had a disagreement went our own separate ways. So then I was like, you know, what? I need to start going back to networking events. I'd only been to a couple at that point. I actually think I met Ricky, Ricky at my very first networking event. I think he 
it was at a networking event in Assembly Row, I believe it was his Oh, show. wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, and I had watched him. I, I don't know what podcast on Bigger Pockets that you were watching when yep. you said that yeah, you mentioned him, but I believe he was in one of the earlier ones, like from the first yeah, couple, few years. Definitely. And that was the one I think I'd heard. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He's a Boston local guy. And we were looking for, so I was looking for some real estate networking events locally. So I started going to those. Then I found the Pints of Properties. So Pints of Properties were a change of Pints of Properties just had a lot of people who were in this very similar situation where they're just starting out or they're like, they're like semi-experienced investors, but they're not like, I own thousands of units type of investor. Yeah. Um, and that's where I met one of, you know, one of my business partners now, Matt, Matt Davis. I think you've actually had him on the show before. And he and I were talking and I heard that one of his first deals was actually buying a six family, which I was impressed with. He's a younger guy is a few years younger than me. It was one of his first properties that he bought. So like, that's really cool. That's actually pretty impressive. That's one of his first properties. So I started talking with him a little bit more. He met another gentleman named John Marchese, who's a contractor at another Pines of Properties event. So then Matt's like, hey, let's do a mastermind together. Or would you guys be open to that? I was like, yeah, that actually would be really good. And uh, so then we started doing the mastermind. And that was really just to set goals each week. One of my goals was finding an, a house hack. Even though I had done two FHAs in Worcester, I wanted to come to this area, to the med- eastern Massachusetts, more closer to Boston. And I wanted to find something that I could live for myself. And I wanted to do a rehab construction loan because I had heard about the 203K. I wanted to get some rehab experience, some extensive rehab experience. And same thing like the FHA, you can leverage all of the, you can use this product to be highly leveraged, even with the rehab. So you can come in with 3.5% down net, 3.5% of the purchase price and 3.5% of the rehab costs. So I started looking here. It was a lot harder to make the cash flow work because you know the banks still want to see that they're going to pass certain tests and that they're going to meet certain metrics and ratios. That was a little difficult for me, but I did end up finding a property in Medford. But anyway, that's how we came together. And that was one of the goals earlier that I was setting was how are we going to find, um, you know, what are my goals? What do I want to tell them my goals are? What are the things I'm going to do each week? So at that time, I started experimenting with some direct mail, off letters, trying to get some two, three, four families in Somerville, Medford, Cambridge. And I eventually found something, but it wasn't through a letter. It's actually through a guy who was for sale by owner on Craigslist. And he wanted way too much money for his property. But I kept in contact with him and I kind of kept at it every few weeks, every month I'd reach out to him. And after six months, he came around and he sold it to me. So that's what I'm working on right now. And that's the project that I've been working on. Um, it's been taking up most of my time. It's just making sure that progress is being made in that three family rehab that I'm doing. Which if you follow me on social media, you do Kyle, you'll see that I've been posting about that a lot. Because I think it's a really cool loan product. The FHA 203K loan product is really cool. They have a skinny version and then they have the uh, the kind of larger version. The skinny version I think is like less than thirty five thousand or less than thirty thousand in rehab yeah. uh, rehab costs. And then if you do more than thirty five thousand then you gotta go with the, the regular two oh three K. And Mine was more than that. I think mine came out to like 150,000. Plus, I made some scope of work changes afterwards. So it's probably closer to like 175,000 now. I unfortunately couldn't make it work where I could put down 3.5%. I did have to come out with a little bit more out of pocket. So I think I'm like about 7% into this out of pocket, maybe even closer to 10 now. I have to look back at the books to figure that out. But it still seems like it's a good investment. I'm really excited. We're almost at the point where these units are going to be rent ready, the bottom two units at least. And I'm going to be living on the top floor. And, uh, I hope I'm going to be able to report it's a raging success. I was hoping everything was going to be done by this podcast, actually. We are behind <laughs> right now. So we were, everything was supposed to be done by the end it of June. It might be. <laughs> everything was supposed to be done by the end of June. 
and so when we when I originally booked this podcast show with you, I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll probably go talk about the the end of the, the rehab work. But it's still going on, but it is very close. I'm, I'm in there. And it's like the floors are getting refinished. The painting's almost completely done. The last things that need to happen are just, uh, you know, cleaning the floors, some small electrical things, changing out some lighting fixtures. So we're almost there. I'm excited. I've hired a realtor to kind of to scope out. She's a good friend of my sister's and she's got rental real estate experience so she's doing that she lives right down the street from the property so it just seemed like a good fit so she's helping me find some tenants for it and in this market like i'm sure many the t- the tenants generally are speaking uh, generally speaking are paying for this, the broker fee out of pocket so in, in the boston market it's very common for agents to get charged a broker fee for them helping find you a property and it'll be the tenants that'll pay the broker fee so it's nice for the landlord because you can get a tenant that's paying first lesson security and a broker fee you get your first house security, the broker gets paid by the applicant, by the tenant. And so you don't have to pay it out of pocket, in theory. Um, and then with the team, with me, Matt, and John, and Blue Canyon Equity, we use this off-market direct mail campaign that I was using from when I was looking for a house hack to do for myself starting last year. And I just kind of transitioned that into the types of properties that we said that we were thinking of looking for. So late last year, right around the time I was also looking at this three family in Medford, where I started talking to the gentleman about it almost exactly at the same time we started sending out letters as a group. At the time we hadn't called ourselves Blue Canyon. We hadn't come up with that name yet, but we were sending out letters. We were very seriously interested in investing together. And it wasn't until December, something actually stuck. And then we, there was a couple hurdles to get over, a couple of uh, obstacles that we needed to figure out. But we did figure them out and then we were able to close on the first property in March and now we're closing on the second property today. So that's where we are. I mean, and, and my goal for this year, I think it was to do one house hack on my own, one FHA house hack, buy my own house, my own multifamily. It was to buy three properties with these gentlemen, the Blue Canyon group. So we got I'm two thirds of the way there on that. Yeah. And I also want to invest in a property with my sister. So that was another goal that I have because she's very interested in real estate as well. Um, and so that's something I still need to do with her. But other than that, I think it's going well. I'm very happy with the goals that I've been achieving and uh, the progress that I've made. But in a lot of ways, I'm like, and my own works critic. I don't know if you ever find yourself piled in the same thing where you're, you're like, yeah, if I met me, if the person that I was like three years ago met somebody like me today, I'd probably, I'd probably be impressed with, oh, you own a few properties, you've done a rehab, buying larger stuff. That's really cool. That seems really impressive. But now I am where I am today. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, it's not good enough. I want to be bigger. I want to be better. I want to do more, which is good. I think it's good to have those types of ambitions. Don't be too hard on yourself. I'm trying not to be too hard on myself, but this is where I am. This is where I am at life right now. And I, I think of Blue Canyon and my partners as being a great way to, for us to take on bigger projects together and take on things that might be a little bit more risky for me to do on my own, especially if there's like a rehab component and I'm not as familiar with it. One of our partners is a contractor, one of us is an engineer. I have a kind of finance accounting background. So I think we balance each, out, each other well. And because there's three of us, it's very easy to come to a conclusion about things because we just put it up to a vote and there's always a, there's always a majority. <laughs> really good way. point. <laughs> yes. So that's another piece of advice. If you get into a partnership and it's a 50-50 split, or it could be a 50-50 split with the voting, I highly recommend you have some process in place where somebody gets to decide the vote on it. Uh, wow. That's a good a good piece of advice there. Yeah, that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. And that's a new mindset I had. I'm, it's awesome that the, I try to think of it. Like, it sucks when you fail. I think everybody agrees on that. But you got to learn from your failures. That sounds so trite too, I know. But like, <laughs> you have to learn from your failures. And I think that in a funny way, the universe like has you learn a lesson 
that you can implement almost immediately somewhere else. And it was like with that first partnership, I learned what worked, I learned what didn't work. And I was able to implement that and come to this partnership with a such a strong foundational mindset, like a good value system for how to work in a partnership. Yeah. And I think that's that's beautiful. And I find that similar things like that happening in other parts of my life right now, where it's a lesson I learned two months ago is really coming in handy today. And so it's really cool. I think it's really awesome. You can say like, wow, I remember learning this lesson just not too far back. And now here I am being able to implement and approach it a different way so that I can increase my chances of success moving forward. But I've been talking for a while. I'm going to take a <laughs> while. Let me take a sip of water. I <laughs> hope you have a question. No, that's, that's extremely impressive, man. And there's a couple of things that I do want to hit on in there was like the thing too about like being your own worst critic, like, I'm glad you said that because, like, that's something that I'm really trying to figure out because I feel like it's almost, like, kind of striking a balance because on one side, to your point, you know, like, um, actually, I had a conversation with a guy who was on the podcast a while back. Um, shout out to Riley Knox. Uh, <laughs> I hope you're doing well, man. But there was a conversation that him and I had, and he mentioned, you know, we were talking about something along this kind of vein. And he was like, dude, he's like, you know, if you met yourself from five years ago or like, you know, picture yourself like when you're, you know, five years, five and 10 years ago, you know, would you, is this what you envisioned five or 10 years ago? I was like, oh, no way in hell. And he's like, exactly. Like we literally have no, like, it's almost like we have like just no perception or like most of like not really an actual perception of where we're going to be in the next five, 10 years. Like we have no idea. You literally like, have to predict know? the future and you can't do it. And that extrapolates yeah. to so many other facets of life. Like for example, uh, you have to, and we were talking about this at the end of the show, you're graduating high school, you're getting ready to graduate high school and you need to make a decision as what you want to do with your career. You're barely, you're not an adult. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. You're not an adult. <laughs> your brain has so much growing to do. I think every psychologist and therapist in the world would agree with this too. Like, it's it's crazy that we can even think that people who I think are children can make huge life decisions and be responsible yep. for them at that age. But you got to make a decision. You have to say, oh, wow, I've got to maybe go to college and start studying something that I have no idea if it's going to be lucrative. And it's like, that, you know, I don't want to criticize any particular major, but some are just clearly going to be more lucrative than others. Yeah. And if you don't come from a background where you're going to be able to make an informed decision, you can set yourself up for failure. But even so, you have to make a decision. Let's say you choose a career. I chose accounting. That to me seemed like a good choice at the time. I took some accounting classes in high school. It's decently lucrative coming out of college. I liked it. I think it was a good foundation for my career. I like the finance. It's easier math. It's not like I have to do calculus. And uh, now I find myself not really loving accounting that much. I think it's great. I think it, it helped form who I am today. But now I want to see myself growing in different ways. So it, don't be afraid to make a decision. You're allowed to change your mind down the road when you have different data points. But that's the thing I like being your own worst, your, your own worst critic is that you know, it's, it's not fair. You can't predict the future and you're allowed to make changes down the road and you're not going to know your career. If you start off, you're not going to know where your career goes. You might think you're going to be a professor one day or you might think you're going to be a uh, CFO at a company, but maybe you end up a multimillionaire, maybe hundred millionaire real estate investor. So you just don't know. But as long as you're always trying to grow, as long as you're working, self-reflecting, you're having, you believe in and kind of that self-help you have that self-help mentality like you're either reading books or listening to people or having these conversations where you're trying to work through your thoughts and be a better person tomorrow than you were today 
that forward progress, I think, is all that's important. And that's what I say to myself. I said, I've made forward progress, and I should be very proud of that. And maybe I wanted to make more forward progress. But, hey, I've got hopefully many years ahead of me. So I don't think I hopefully need to worry. Nothing crazy is going to happen to me out there. So, you know, in the last 2019 to 2022, I guess we're at three years now. And so I hope to accomplish way more in the last three years. But when I think about last year, like last year, I technically owned three units at the beginning of the year. And now I own individually six units with partners and additional 11 units. So I've more than doubled what I had from last year. Yeah. And that's, that's my new philosophy moving forward is every following year, I want to double the amount of units that I own from the previous year. And I haven't really done the math on that, but I think if I do that, I'll own like a trillion units by the time I'm 60 or some crazy number like that. So. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I totally agree. And like, that's the thing too, man. It's like on the other side of the spectrum of like, you know, kind of um, trying to figure out how to word it of like being your own worst critic. Like when you finally like hit these things, like something that, that I struggle with is like, you know, in the moment, like, yeah, like, you know, you're super excited. Like you just close on that property. Like everything's great. But then like, this is the part I'm trying to figure out is like, it's just, it's not really enough. You know, and like, like I'm afraid to get like comfortable and, and be like, oh, great. You know, like we did it. Like, you know, we can cruise a little bit because like, I don't want that. You know, like I just want to focus on the next thing. And like, it's tough to kind of like. Good thought. That's a good thought because that is, you know, when, when you're outside looking in, you're yeah. like, that person's successful. Like, why do they need more? Why do they want more? Like, it doesn't make sense. But when you're in the position, you take like a certain pride over what you've been able to build and it just never feels like it makes sense to stop building because when you have that entrepreneurial mindset or that business owner mindset, like you see yourself creating value at the very least for yourself and for your family. But beyond that, hopefully providing a useful product or service to the world, to your, to your local community. And that's one of the things we see with real estate is we can provide quality housing, affordable housing, not always affordable, but at least quality housing, safe housing to the community. And one of the strategies we use is finding those kind of dilapidated rundown properties with deferred maintenance and going in there and trying to make them pretty again and make them like that we ourselves would be proud to live there. And some people call it gentrifying, but at the end of the day, it's like quality housing. It costs money to create it. There's demand for it. It generally has a premium. You're going to pay a little bit more for it, but I think it's the responsible thing to do. And if you don't have those types of investors, you're not going to have a community that's seeing redevelopment growth. So it's important that you have that. I think we're important parts of the ecosystem. And I think in a lot of ways, we're doing good for our communities. But we want to do bigger things too. I mean, I'd love to be able to develop something where we can also try to coordinate certain types of businesses that the city or town would like to see come into their community. And so that, those could be types of tenants that we look for when filling retail or commercial space at the bottom there's like a lot of ways that you can give back obviously you can do it beyond real estate too that's just one of the things i discovered real estate it's something i'm passionate about right now but i wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be surprised but i mean (laughs) in 10 years i could be a business owner in a totally different industry and who knows you just don't know where that's going to take you i think that's the beauty of it it's a hell of a ride it's a journey it definitely has been I, i totally agree so ryan i do want to ask you one question man that that i like to ask everybody how do you define wealth Ooh, there's a good question. How do you define wealth? Um, all right, so one of the ways I would say is, okay, I think every, everybody probably assumes this. Like you hear somebody's wealthy, you think that they have a lot of money. And I think that is a component of it. Or I think what they really need to say is they're at a point in life 
where they don't need to worry about how they're going to live a decent lifestyle and come up with the money or run out of the money. So they're doing something where they're either getting continuous cash flow or large enough paychecks that they don't really need to worry about looking at their bank account every month and balancing the checkbook. It's like not a need. They know that they can go to the grocery store and really pay as much as they need to, to get food that they can go out to eat a few times a week. You can go on vacations. You can buy a house every now and then. You can buy maybe some fun toys like a boat. That to me, like that to me is a traditional sense of wealthy. That's also the type of opinion or definition that I take on. But beyond that, I also think that it's important. Like part of me being wealthy is being wealthy in time in spare time so like what can i do with my free time that is going to provide joy in my life because working and making money isn't the only thing that provides joy that's just one part of life that i think provides um satisfaction and it doesn't even do that for everybody but yeah. ultimately at the end of the day when you're on your deathbed i don't think the thing that you're going to be saying is i wish i had started another business i think it's going to be if anything i wish i had spent more time with loved ones i wish i spent more time with friends and family i wish i had more flexibility in my daily schedule to do that or I wish I had a, a better legacy to leave. I, I'm leaving behind a better legacy for myself. And so these are the things to me that kind of all build up into wealth. And I try, I'm trying to live by those principles like every day, like even with Blue Canyon, I'm like I want to have, a, I want to develop a good brand now. I don't want to do anything that's slimy or scummy on the front end that could leave, make it so that somebody down the road is going to have a grievance against me. And I'm trying to have a, I'm trying to set myself up so that I'm not a workaholic, that I'm not working six or seven days a week like i want to have time for my friends and family and i'm okay stepping in when i think i see a friend or somebody that i really care about maybe not paying attention enough time or enough attention to those things in their private life saying like hey like you know maybe it's time to spend some more time with them you know, relax take a vacation like everybody wants to see their mom and dad you know everybody wants to hang out with their friends and their family but life gets the best of us sometimes i think it's natural you get overwhelmed um so that's wealth for me wealth is having the resources and the means necessary to live a fulfilling life. And that's what I'd say it is fulfilling. And what's fulfilling to me, fulfilling to me is being able to spend a good amount of my time the way that I want to, the way that's going to provide me with happiness and enjoyment and surround myself with loved ones and be able to provide a positive impact in my loved ones' lives, not just financially, but financially helps a lot. I, I mean, <laughs> I hope most people will admit it that like having a lot of money definitely helps like being able to go to eat and not have to worry about it or being able to just say you're having a really hard time like let me buy this for you or i mean that's something that i first off i should be doing this more i think i'm at a point where i could be doing this more but i know that this is things that i want to do forward is like going out to just like a, a decent restaurant um especially around the holidays or something just paying for you know a family across the way they don't necessarily need it and yeah. it's not it's not to be uh I don't want to be judgmental. I'm not being, or anything like that. I'm just saying like giving back to people who you think might appreciate having a free meal. Cause who, it's never happened to me. I've never gone out to eat and be like, oh, this person or uh, an anonymous person over there paid for your meal. Like, that'd be a good feeling regardless of if I could afford it or not. That's Definitely. a good feeling. And then I'd be inspired to pay it forward. I'd be like, oh really? I'm sorry. Well then I want to pay for that person's tab <laughs> over there. And you hear stories like that. on the So those are the things that I'd like to be able to do. That's wealth to me. I don't know what's, I, love that, man. I know you're the interviewer. The interview, yeah, and I'm the interviewee. But like, what's your <laughs> what's your definition of wealth? How do you like to do that? Curious. That's awesome, man. I I do love that so much. Um, mine is actually it's it's pretty similar. You know, for me, it it's a a pretty personal reason as well. Of you know, pretty much, basically just being able to create 
um, you know, enough passive income every month to tell my mom that she's able to retire and she doesn't have to, you know, work for her day job anymore. Cause you know, usually we're miserable and like, it, it goes a lot deeper than that, but it's, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the big one. You know what I mean? I'm like, we just like, life's too short to be unhappy, man. And like, you know, at, at the very least, like, you know, if the financial aspect of that can be covered and we can, you know, have our, our time back and like go to the beach if we want to. And like, it just, I totally agree with you, man. You know, it, it just goes so much deeper. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like it, it would be a really nice kind of thank you, you know, for. for Absolutely. The- and I feel like that's almost every parent's dream is to have your child be able to do things that you felt like you weren't able to do. Yeah. And so you can see them being able to give to you things that you might not have been able to have as a kid yourself, but now maybe in your older years, your children are, be, are able to provide that for you. And on top of that, they're able to provide something more to their children than you were able to provide to them. And not that that's a bad thing at all, but it's like constant growth, even in like the family structure. It's like always progressing as a society and as a family. So I think I like that too. Like that's a Thank great you. way of thinking about it. And I mean, definitely along with that, like it is a lot of fun, you know, to just kind of like, like we were talking about earlier, you know, just kind of like experiment with things and like try out different businesses. And like, it's definitely something that's extremely enjoyable. So to be able to kind of do that and, you know, go out and like, you know, meet certain people and like start certain projects and partner on different things. Like it just like the, you know, the lesser aspect, I guess, of, of the bigger picture is, is definitely something like that, you know, just to literally like let your mind just open and run free mm-hmm. and like, just like try anything you want, you know? And like, it, you know, it'd say like one day you had an idea for like a kick-ass nonprofit or something. Be like, all right, man, like, let's get like five people together. Like, let's do this. Like, let's see how much money we can raise. Like, screw it. Why not? You know, like, I don't know. It just, it's, it seems like a lot of fun, you know? And it's, um, I totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. You know? Absolutely, sir. I mean, that's, I think that's, where, I think that's where we all want to be. I mean, just, yeah. I don't know. Everybody maybe hasn't been there, but. I think, and we all obviously come from different backgrounds. And so some people were just constantly, they were, they were raised and constantly faced with the uh, finance problem. Like you knew the finances in the family weren't, it wasn't going well. You knew that things struggled. You knew like yeah. maybe as soon as you were able to work that you had to start working. And others, you know, were fortunate, more fortunate and didn't have it that way. But like either way, I think you, a lot of people learn that, yeah, they don't want to, especially if you come from a tougher background, you almost like commit yourself to, I really want to give my, posterity and future generations within my family um, more i want to give them more than i was able to have um and i think that's the least that we can do for our family i think that's good for society when you're able to give more to your family but i yep. think it's also good for society when you're able to give more beyond your family yeah. put yourself in a situation where you can help make the community a better place so yep. i love it man i i totally agree with you you know so I got one more question for you, Ryan. The question is, do you read and what is your favorite business investing or real estate book that you would recommend to anyone or a podcast or Never anything? I picked up a book in my entire <laughs> life. So no, I don't. So it, it's funny because I was thinking about this and it's tough because when you, I think back. So first off, I don't really read anything other than real estate uh, geared books, which is funny. Like I used to read some more stuff in the politics space, space, sphere. And then obviously stuff in college and things that were required for school. Um, but the, my favorite books. So I was thinking about this in case you asked it. And I think the two books that really had, that resonated with me the most. The first one was 
Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate by Brian Martin. So this is, uh, I don't have it with me, this particular book, but this is, it's a black book with red text. And I want to say it was like the, one of the earlier books, maybe within the first five books I read on real estate. And this one was talking about Brian's journey. I think he, I want to say he was a school teacher or something first. And then he bought his first apartment building. I could be totally getting all this wrong. So no offense, <laughs> Brian Myers. Sorry if you ever hear I'm this. probably going to read it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, you said that. <laughs> I read this. It's, it's actually a phenomenal book. He buys this uh, property that's really run down. I want to say it's somewhere in New York or Ohio. I can't remember. But really run down. There's drug deals going on in the building. There's people urinating in the elevators. There's like, it is totally gross. There's trash outside the sidewalk. And he buys this building and he turns it around within a few years. And like, not only creates extraordinary financial benefits for him, you know, financial resources. He, he becomes, I think, pretty wealthy off this one transaction. Hmm. He improved a building that had tenants in there that were, uh, you know, either couldn't afford a lot, but were not in a safe environment or they were just in an unsafe environment and wanted to be there. You know, regardless, there was, he improved his community, he improved that building. He made it so that he installed security cameras. He was there every single day, picking up the trash outside the building. He was going through renovating the apartments. He was, uh, had a leasing office, I believe on the inside. You know, he was there every day, interacting with the tenants, trying to get the shitty ones out and get the good guys in there. I shouldn't say the good guys, but you know, the ones that the more desirable tenants that are going to be more respectful to everybody's personal space and stuff. And that resonated with me. And that was kind of like my first introduction to the commercial multifamily space. And then funny enough, the second book that I'd say is actually the multifamily millionaire. So Brandon Turner wrote these with Brian Murray, actually same author from that other one that I talked about. Yep. I think Brian Murray ended up being a guest on, um, one of the bigger pockets podcasts with Brandon Turner. And so they wrote, they, I guess they've been investing together for quite some time now. And they wrote a series of two volume books together and is crushing it in, um, is it called crushing it? The multifamily millionaire. Uh, you know, maybe I just not anything. I think I'm getting confused with the other title because the other title says uh, something about crushing it, I believe. But anyway, you know, the two volumes, I don't know what the first one's called, but the second one, first one concentrates on residential, small multifamily stuff. So like more on the one four unit space. And then this one talks about the larger stuff. So this is what's saying, um, create generational wealth by investing in large multifamily real estate. And this is the type of stuff that I'm now working towards because one of the things I've learned, and this is my, 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 beat, my big takeaway for this. Once you understand the metrics that you need to use to analyze a smaller deal, once you understand how to operate a smaller deal, generally speaking, there's huge economies of scale by taking that same work and applying it to a larger project. It almost takes the same amount of time. Or if it takes more time, it's like you might get, it might be a deal that's 20 times as large in terms of all the numbers of the cash flow that's going to produce in terms of the price, but it will only take like 50% more work to underwrite it. And that's crazy, especially when you're getting out of the space of it, there's unsavvy investors who are going in there and managing it themselves, in which case like it's harder to buy things at fair market value because people aren't factoring the fact that they have to hire a property management company. So if you're put in a situation where you have to buy it at a higher price and manage it yourself to make the numbers work, then it becomes harder to scale. You know, With larger multifamily, it's assumed that you hire a property management company to run the building. And that in itself is just like, holy crap, you're not the one that has to take a phone call in the middle of the night when the <laughs> toilet breaks or sprinklers going off or a fire alarm's going off and the fire department's there. 
fuck. That that's those are like the worst calls. And everybody says that's why, or not everybody, but the people who are scared of real estate, that those are the examples that they give. You only get yourself into that position if you design it, the infrastructure for owning the building, uh, such that that can happen to you. I think a smart real estate investor is going to think about ways that they can delegate work out and make it so that they can have that wealthy living mindset where they can have a fulfilling life and save that time for either building things that are meaningful to them, like their business, or spending time with family and friends. So yeah, those excuse me, those are the two books. So it's Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate by Brian Marty. And I don't know what year that came out. I want to say that came out in uh, maybe... I don't know, a few years ago, five years ago, maybe. I don't, I don't totally know. And then this one's more recent. I think this came out just in 2020, 2021, I believe. Maybe 2022. I'm not fully sure when these got released, but this is a two-volume series. So if you're a new investor, I highly recommend both of these books, the, the first volume and the second volume, because I think that'll give you a more well-rounded approach to real estate and investing and the uh, like genres or categories of commercial real estate and real estate, so to speak. That's my answer. Percent, man. I love it. The first book I haven't read. I've heard about it. I'll definitely check it out. I recommend it. I recommend it. It's one of those books too, where I think you'll be able to tell within the first couple of chapters, if you think you're going to get value out of it or not. Yeah. And then, you know, by the way, this is another thing I learned from a friend of mine. Don't be afraid to skip chapters in a book. Like books are all about learning. So if you're finding something that's boring in the book, like don't be afraid to skip through the book, like skim through that chapter and get to the section that's a little bit more for you. Because it's all about taking away something. If you're putting yourself through a mental like roadblock every time you pick up that book and you start to get like anxiety or just like resentment toward the book, then you're not going to be able to get the benefits that might be later on in the book because you're just so afraid. You're like, oh, I got to drudge through all this other crap. So don't be afraid to skim. You can always come back to it. I mean, it's not a big deal in the world, but like skip it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And don't be afraid to be the person that doesn't read the full book. Like I've done that before. And sometimes you just got to make that call and do it. So. Uh, so I was going to say to you, is, yeah, pick up the book, start reading it. If you don't like it, skip around a little bit. And if you don't like it, it's not for you. I, uh, sorry. But I, I enjoyed the book. I think it's a good book. That tip is huge, man. Because that's actually, I've never done something like that before. Like I've just tried to like power through it and I'm like, oh my God. Exactly. That's what everybody does. Because you're just ingrained. It's like there's a beginning, there's an end. And I got to go through every single part of it. Because it's also, I think, like you think in like a, uh, a fictional book it's like you're going to miss a story if you skip but that's not the case with nonfiction yeah. or stuff like this like this is all about getting takeaways the even if you just buy a book for two chapters like i've bought textbooks in about real estate and real estate development where i didn't read the earlier chapters because it wasn't related to the type of development that i was interested in um and only read those stuff that was about commercial multifamily development because at that time i was really strongly considering buying a property that was more of a development property um and you know, adding on addition or knocking it down and rebuilding from scratch. So, uh, didn't haven't done that yet. That's a goal for mine as well. Not this year, but probably next year is going to be buying some type of development deal, ground up development deal. I'd really like to do something like that. That's genius, man. That's absolutely awesome. But that's my tip. That's my tip on the skipping around. Don't be afraid to skip around because it's all about getting the most benefit for the time that you're putting into it. So, if you're putting in time to reading those really boring chapters. And it's taking a lot of time and you have to keep going back to read it. Just skip it. Just skip it and come back to it later if you really want to. That's genius, man. Seriously. Like <laughs> the next time that like I, I come up to a spot in a book and I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't really want to do this. One other quick recommendation, YouTube channel. It's called uh, Commercial Property Advisors CPA. And it's Ooh. with uh what's that guy's name? Peter Harris? Or is it Peter Conti? Let me look that up real quick. But it's commercial property advisors. And uh they do he talks about on his YouTube channel, um, 
very similar stuff as this stuff about how to analyze commercial multifamily real estate, how to make offers that are reflective of what their, their true value is on, on that day that you're purchasing it, and then how to boost its value and create wealth and, and generate income. Um, so I think that's also a commercial property advisors uh, is also a great channel. And you, if you just look that up on, um, on YouTube, you'll find it. And it is the guy's gentleman's name is Peter Harris. Um, Oh, so I was so close to me. This guy is so bummed out. He's like, he went, he was on Lake Tahoe boating. I say I'm so close, but he's on Lake Tahoe boating uh, like a week after I was there. Like, oh, dang it. <laughs> you so guys have to coordinate next time, man. <laughs> I know. He's, well, he's from San Francisco and I've been dating somebody from the Bay Area from San Francisco. So it makes sense. Um, so when I'm back out there, I'm going to try to connect with him. He seems like a really chill guy. Like I could literally say, hey, you're super cool. I'd love to buy you lunch like this week if you have time. And he's like not like into the sphere of social media that like he's like, oh, I'm a big shot. I don't have time for this. Like I think he's the type of guy that's like he checks his email and checks every email. So if I can find his email, I'm sure, I'm sure he'd sure I believe in you, man. You're going to get that lunch with him. It's going to happen. Hey, one time I was <laughs> hell bent on meeting Anderson Cooper when he was in Boston uh, filming for CNN. And I was like, I'm going to meet I'm going to meet Anderson Cooper tonight. And I went out. Everybody doubted my ability to go, like, see him, talk to him, get a photo with him, and I did. I got it. Yeah, so, let's go. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm one zero right now. <laughs> wow, that's incredible, man. Thank you, you so so much for coming on here, Ryan. That was wow, thanks a ton for having me. Man. It's been good. I feel like you and I have really uh, gotten to know each other very well this year. I'm very Definitely. honored, and it's it's truly truly a great uh, a great pleasure being on here. And, and talking uh-huh. about my experiences with you and i hope and i hope if not for at least some social media bite clips that we can uh maybe provide some value to others that listen so thank you for having me it's uh it's been great 100 percent. thank it. you so much oh one one more thing ryan where on um like social media can you and um blue canyon yes yeah, so blue canyon we're still working through creating the website and creating the uh the social media page blue canyon does have a blue canyon equity partners does have a linkedin um page right now and that's where i'd highly recommend if you're interested in reaching out to us just type in blue canyon equity partners uh spaces between all those words on linkedin and you'll be able to find our linkedin landing page and then we're working on building out the website and social media my personal social media is at ryan r emrich i believe on instagram yep and on tiktok you know, Kyle, guys, you gotta you gotta check out this guy's TikToks. Like I'm telling him they're gonna go viral because they're gonna go viral. I, I hope pro- one day. <laughs> so on TikTok, I'm at Fly Rye Real Estate Guy. So my name's Ryan. It's a Fly Rye Real Estate. So F L Y R Y Real Estate Guy. Um, I think you can probably just type in Ryan Emmerich on TikTok and you'll find my profile as well. So uh, I strongly advise you should like real estate content if you follow me though because of that i'm shoving real estate content down all of my followers throats even if they're friends with of mine from high school they're now getting real estate content whether they like it or not <laughs> that's absolutely awesome yeah i'm calling the shot right now you're gonna get a viral tiktok uh, what do you define viral like how many views do you yeah. think a viral tiktok is <laughs> literally like one hit like a million like straight a up million like, blows up dude like out of nowhere i i've seen it happen to people around I, Dude, like, you your videos are, like, so official and, like, fly ride the real estate guy. Dude, like, come on. Like, how's that not famous? Like, for real. I, I hope it does. I hope it does. At the very least, I hope it's something that can is relatable to people just beyond those. Those are the types of videos that make people up or, like, the ones that are 
not just applicable to real estate, but maybe a life lesson or something that's that applies beyond real estate. So, all right, thank you it's for pumping happen. me up like that. For, <laughs> it's gonna for happen. Pumping me up to such that to such heights. I will try to live up to those expectations. <laughs> oh. All right, new goal. If I get a million views on a TikTok, I'd like to be invited back. For a hundred percent deal. All right, cool. Let's cool. do it. You guys heard it. <laughs> oh, thank you so so much again, Ryan. It's thanks, guys. This is a blast. Ryan. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon, brother. <laughs> talk to you soon. Have a good one. You too. All right, guys. That concludes our Creating Wealth podcast episode for today. I want to thank every single person that has listened this far. It really means a lot to know that people can learn from me and with me as we build wealth together. Hopefully you can take home at least one thing from this podcast that will improve your life just a little bit. If you could, please check me out on social. That's at Kyle Curtin Real Estate on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Pockets. Until next time, let's build together.